0: service. Now tonight, if you come back at 6 o'clock this evening, the entire evening is going to be devoted to recognizing Jared and Kelly, the work, the ministry that they've done here at First Baptist over the years. We'll have lots of fun things planned this evening. We hope that you'll make plans to be back at 6 o'clock for that. And then after the service this evening as well, at 7 o'clock or in and about 7 o'clock, we'll have a reception in their honor in our fellowship hall as well. We hope you'll stick around and just celebrate with them this evening. But this morning, we know that there'll be some of you that won't be able to be back tonight, and and we want you uh, to just to to be able to recognize and and Really, together, us as a body, honor the Lees for their 16 and a half years of service here at First Baptist. So, I want to invite Jared and Kelly to join me up here on the stage this morning. And as they do that, I'm going uh, to work here. We've got a few gifts that we want to give them this morning. So, you guys make your way up. And while you do that, I'm going to play uh, Santa Claus here and get everything ready. Okay, so we did some, we did some homework. And we found out that Shane Hall, your new pastor, your older, not as good looking pastor uh, that you're about to serve under. Just get that in while I can. Uh, No, Shane's a great guy. And we learned that Shane preaches from the New American Standard Bible. And so we got you this copy of... Uh, the New American Standard. Now you've been in ministry long enough. You've got plenty of Bibles, but what makes this Bible a little bit different? I'll let you hold it and feel. It's it's uh, it's bound in goatskin leather, and it is soft. Uh, I won't tell you what it's as soft as, but it's really nice, hand bound, uh, hand stitched goatskin leather. So it's like a, a top shelf Bible, so that you can follow along and uh, maybe you'll get the chance to step in and preach for Shane one of these days. And, uh, and now you've got a good preaching Bible. Uh, yeah, he said it feels like one of Kelly's purses. Uh, no comment, really. I have nothing else to add to that. All right. And so here, the other thing that we wanted to get you guys, this is one of many gifts that you'll be getting throughout the day today. This is, I'll hold it up here so that you can see it. This is a, a portrait of Jared and Kelly that uh, you you need to hang this somewhere real prominent in your home, right? On your I Love Me wall, everybody's got an I Love Me wall, right? And uh, whether you choose to hang it in your new home, or if, Jared, if you want to put it in your office to remind you that you used to be once this young, this good looking, you know. So as the years change and as as you fade, yeah, this is it. This is as good as it gets, right? Uh, But we want you to be able to have this so... I'll hand this to you, uh, Kelly, and that. those are just a few of the many gifts that we have. You come back tonight, we've got more, but you have to come back for those uh, tonight, and you guys are going to have to come back tonight as well for that, but what we really want to do this morning, and uh, in, in really these are just a, a very small way of us appreciating and showing you the love that we have for you, and so we want to both recognize and to pray for you. So the first thing uh, we want to do is let's just give them a hand of applause, and let's thank them. For their many years of service here at First Baptist, happy tears, we know. uh, bittersweet in a way, happy because uh, you, you know you're doing what God wants you to do, otherwise it would be much more difficult, but also bittersweet knowing that it means that you close the the, the door on one chapter at least of, of God's journey. Um, you know, I, I want to just say to you publicly as a church and, and also to, to both of you how much we really appreciate all that you've done. It's not easy uh, letting go of, of, of someone who's become more family than friend to you and uh, that's not easy and, and we'll be sad. It'll be weird, uh, honestly, tomorrow when you're not here and uh, you know, when, when we sit down as a staff tomorrow and you're not at the table, that's gonna be weird. I'm not, I'm not gonna even pretend that it's not, but I have great confidence that you're doing what the Lord has told you to do and uh, because you're doing what God's called you to do, he's gonna be faithful every step of the way and he's gonna go before you. And so we love you and, and just wanna, wanna say thank you. Uh, and this is your chance if you wanna say anything. You don't have to. Uh it's hard uh in, in moments like this, but certainly want to give you the opportunity if, if there's anything you want to say.
1: This is hard. Um I was thinking while we were singing that uh you know I've been here for for as long as I have, I feel like I'm just part of the furniture. And uh and you guys are my family, and I, I could sit here and talk about each, each one of you and, and stories that we share and, and memories that we have. Um, so thankful for this church. Um, in a way, this morning when I came, it was just like any other Sunday. It was, I went to men's breakfast, went to Sunday school, and it really hasn't set in yet. I mean, the announcement was hard. This is hard Um, I think next Sunday may be the hardest is is not coming um, to this building and and seeing all your faces. Um, But we love you so much, and we're so thankful for this church. We love this church and are so proud of this church. Yes, we we were the last wedding in the old sanctuary, the old Burger King colors (laughs) that used to be in here. And so we have great—we're excited about what's going to happen in the future, and we want to come back and see all that you guys do and— And we're just 40 minutes down the road, so it's not like we're moving across the country, but it's still very difficult. And and we just want to say how much we love you and are so thankful for how you've invested in us. Um, My 16 and a half years, our 11 years, and um, God bless y'all. Thank you all so much. Yeah,
0: well, hang on. Don't go anywhere yet uh, because we want to pray for you before before you go sit down. And so uh, let's do that. Church, would you join me in praying for Jared and Kelly? God, we thank you for... This sweet couple, we thank you for their years of service here and uh, the lifetime of memories that we will share with them. Thankful for the chance to run alongside them in this uh, stage of life's journey and in this part of our call to serve you and in in ministry and also thankful for just the many years of faithful service and the many lives touched. Uh, God, I'm so proud to think that there are many who will stand before you someday and and when, when they are asked why should they be allowed into heaven, that uh, they'll be able to point back to the ministry of this couple and, and the impact, the influence that they had in their life. And uh, what what a privilege it's been to serve alongside them. Lord, in the future, continue to use them. I know you will. I know it's your purpose to lead them down this this road because you, you have more plans and more things that you want to do. And, and I don't doubt that at all. And so we just pray your continued blessing on them and your continued... Uh, direction as they follow these next steps or give them strength in in the coming days. It, it, this is gonna be a tough day and, and a tough week and even next week will be awkward as well and weird, kind of stepping into a new role and a new place, being the new face. But I just pray your continued blessing that you go before them and prepare the way and make straight those paths so that they will be able to hit the ground running at First Southern and do your kingdom work. And, and I just, uh, Lord, I also pray that you would just use them to be an encouragement to many the way they have been here at First Baptist Church. And and so, Lord, we, um, again, we just, we're thankful for them and thankful for you bringing our lives together the way that you did. In your name that we pray, amen. love you guys. So, you're welcome. Well, let's go home, right? I don't want to do anything else. Uh, really, uh, the... You, the people that you serve with become family more than just friends, and so uh, so blessed by them. Okay, well now we're going to dismiss our, our children, our children's leadership to go upstairs to be a part of our kids' crew worship. We wanted them to be able to see and participate in all of that with us first this morning, so of course we wanted to do that. So they're going to be dismissed to head upstairs. While they do that, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible Galatians chapter 1. We started working through the book of Galatians last Sunday, and we will be working really through the better part of the spring, uh, working through the letter to the churches in Galatia. We talked about last week the fact that Galatia was not, was not so much a city as much as it was a region, a province. It was an area in modern day, what would be modern day Turkey, the central portion of what would be modern day Turkey. And so Paul has written this letter to a group of churches, a group of believers in this particular region. And in this, he's instructing them particularly about the gospel, the heart of the gospel. We've entitled this sermon series, this study through the book of Galatians, because in it, Paul writes about what is the very heartbeat, the heart and soul of who we are to be and what we are to believe as God's people. And so I, I gave you a little bit of background last week, but I, I want to review some of that as we, as we keep going. That We don't have... We don't have a full account of all the things that happened in the the church of of Galatia, right? We don't have uh, a written history of this church, uh, who pastored and, and what happened, and all of the events that transpired. But we can piece together from the accounts that we have, and a lot of this comes from Paul's writing in the book of Galatians and the things that he's talking about and the instructions that he's giving them sort of infer that there are these problems, these issues that are going on. And one of those issues that was happening is that there was a group who came in after Paul left, after Paul had gone on his way to the next place in God's call for his life, the next stop in, in his journey that God had for him and the ministry, the work that he did. And, and these These people came in behind Paul and they began to say that to the Galatians, the the churches there in Galatia, that, well, Paul preached the gospel to you, yes, but. Paul didn't give you the whole gospel because he didn't want to offend you. Something along those lines. We gather from what Paul is writing about and, and the problems that Paul is addressing in this letter that, that these Judaizers, and that's what we call them today, because essentially what they were trying to do is convince these Christians that if they didn't follow the Jewish customs, the Jewish law, that they weren't being faithful to the gospel. In fact, weren't representing and preaching the whole gospel and so they were coming in and saying something along the lines we gather from that well paul gave you the gospel but he didn't give you the whole gospel and so here's the rest of the story yes you need to place your faith in christ but you also need to follow the jewish law and the jewish customs and so there are all of these things that you have to do follow and obey these certain laws and these certain commandments and paul in writing to the churches in galatia addresses this issue and says absolutely not that what we preached to you was the whole gospel, was the true gospel. And if anyone should come to you and preach a gospel other than the gospel that we gave you, he says, let them be incursed And so you see in verse 8 and verse 9 of Galatians chapter 1, Paul even says, if I were to come to you and preach to you a different gospel, then you should run me out of town. You should get rid of me. Let me be, let me be accursed, or the other word that, uh, the old-fashioned word there is anathema, right? Let me be cast out from you, if I should do this, because the gospel that we preached to you was the whole gospel. And so, as he's writing about this, he's telling them that the heart of the gospel is faith in Christ alone. It's not anything else that we have to add to that. There's not any, any works that we have to do in order to earn that, or any works that we have to do in order to be deserve, deserving or, or worthy of. The, instead, it's faith in Christ alone. And so last week we included verse 10 in the study that we did, but it really was uh, it really was just there almost in passing because I knew I wanted to come back this week and really deal with chapter 1, verse 10. And so this morning's sermon is actually going to be just centered around this one verse. Sometimes as we study through Scripture, we study whole portions of Scripture, uh, many, many verses. In fact, next week we're going to look at verse... 11 of chapter 1 through chapter 2 about verse 14 and so we're going to cover a a large portion of scripture even next week in our study but today I want to look at just this one particular verse in Galatians chapter 1 and so I want you to read with me Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 where Paul writes this he says for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or am I trying to please man If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so Paul is writing here, and he's he's telling the Galatians, I, I didn't preach this gospel to you. I didn't give you half the gospel for because I didn't want to offend you or because I was worried that if I laid out the whole gospel that it would be too much for you. He says, I'm not seeking your approval. I'm seeking the approval of God, and so the gospel that I preached to you, the message that I gave you was the whole gospel, and in fact, I didn't preach it to you just for your sake alone, I preached it to you because the Lord has called me to preach this gospel, and so it's in obedience to what God has called me to do as his servant that I would preach this gospel to you. He says, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? And so this morning, I want to walk through this verse, and I want to look at who it is that we are aiming to please, who it is that we strive to please, and, and In our lives, as we serve, as we work for God's kingdom, who is it really that we are seeking the the approval of? Are we seeking the approval of others? Are we seeking the approval of ourselves? Are we seeking the approval of God? We'll look at that as we walk through the passage this morning. The first note that you have in your sermon notes, though, is this, is that whoever you're trying to please will be your master. I grew up a child of the late 1970s and the early 1980s, all right? And, and so in 1977, there was a cultural bombshell that shaped much of my boyhood. And that was when George Lucas released the first Star Wars film in, in, uh, in 1977. And of course, the, the Star Wars films that followed after that. And in the Star Wars movie, you learn about this relationship between a Jedi and his Padawan, Right, the relationship between uh, we, we might say sort of the relationship between the sensei and the student. Although, of course, in the in the world of Star Wars, it's the Jedi and the Padawan and and the the learner. Calls his Jedi teacher his master, and so as a boy, my first real understanding of the relationship of a master came from watching Star Wars as, as a young boy and watching these movies and 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 just the you know the the way that that portrays this this story of uh, good and evil right and wrong that sort of thing, but. So I, I came to understand what a master was as a product of the 70s and 80s by thinking about Star Wars and the relationship between a Jedi and a master, right? The, the role of the, the Padawan, the role of the student is to do what the master says, right? His sensei, his teacher, so to speak. Now, of course, the older I've gotten and the more I've been educated and, and the more I've learned, I've, I've also learned about the relationship between a slave and a master. And I've learned that the master holds all the power and all the authority over the the slave. And it's interesting here that Paul uses the word servant as it's translated in the ESV, but the word servant that is used here actually is derived from the Greek word that means a bond servant, an indentured servant, a slave essentially. Paul says that if I was still seeking the approval of men I would not be the bondservant the slave of Christ. Paul understood that Christ was his master. That Christ was his was his not only his, uh, his his lord and his savior but master of his life. And so because he understood that he was no longer his own as he writes to the Corinthians that he was bought with a price he writes of what it means to follow Christ as his master, to serve him as his bondservant, as his, as his servant, as he writes here in Galatians chapter 1. You know, the truth is that all of us are serving someone. All of us are seeking the approval of someone. Now, for many, the, the person that they seek the approval of is self. Many, many fall into this, this trap of trying to seek the approval of self, but if you're trying to please yourself then your life will be subject to your own approval. If you're seeking to aim yourself, to please yourself, if, you're, if the goal of your life is to make me happy and do what I want and please myself, then you will be subject to your own approval. And ask anyone who's ever gone down this road. It's a trap that leads to... Nothing but emptiness and despair. Because the truth is, no matter how much you try, you can never really make yourself happy, right? And so maybe maybe there's been a time in your life where you've tried. Maybe a part of your story is you can look back on a time in your life. Maybe, for some, maybe you're living there now. And so you, you really deny yourself no earthly pleasure. You do whatever your heart wants. You... you, you Chase after whatever hopes, whatever dreams, whatever feelings, whatever seems to offer that self-fulfillment, that that self-actualization, right? That, That goal of me getting what I want. But the problem is you can never really truly satisfy yourself. The problem with trying to please yourself is that your heart will betray you. Your heart will betray you. And so you can work and work and work and you can deny yourself no earthly desire and no earthly pleasure and have everything that you've ever wanted and at the end of the day, you can still look at yourself in the mirror and feel empty and lost inside because your heart will betray you. Your heart is deceptive. It's wicked. The heart wants what it wants, but at the end of the day, what the heart wants will never be enough to satisfy us. And so there are many who make it their life's aim to to please themselves they 're seeking their own approval in life, but it, it will never happen. There are others who make it their life goal to to please others right if you 're trying to please others, then your life will be subject to their approval, whoever the they is, whoever the others are that you 're trying to please right You see this so much this is that we we all can look back and we can classically see this during those those great years of junior high, right, that none of us would return to. No, I have never met a single person who says, if I could, I would go back to the seventh grade, right? Nobody wants to go back there. Nobody wants to relive those days. But all of us remember what it's like to be 13 years old and uncomfortable in your own skin and and you you want so much for everyone around you to like you and and you want to please other people and, and you want their approval. But at the end of the day, what's the problem is no matter how much you try, no matter how much you do, enough is never enough, right? Because if you're seeking the approval of others, you will always be disappointed. The problem with trying to please others is that enough is never really enough. And it's so sad because we see so many people in life that are miserable, absolutely miserable, trying to make everyone else happy, right? You've met these people before. You, you know these people. Maybe if you were to be really honest, if we could put truth serum in you, maybe you would say, I am one of these people. That you are absolutely miserable trying to make everyone else happy with you but no matter how much you try it just seems like enough is never really enough because can i just tell you the secret is that Our lives were made for something more than just the approval of others around us. And as much as you will never be able to make yourself happy because your heart will betray you, you'll never be able to make others happy because they don't even really know what it would take to make them happy, right? Because they're after the same elusive sense of fulfillment that you are. And at the end of the day, enough is never really enough. And so when we try to please everyone, what we end up doing is we end up becoming a servant to the desires of others. Paul talks in this verse about being a servant of Christ. But when we're chasing after the approval of others, what happens is that we become a servant to their desires, to their wants, to their needs. And so our lives are spent being a, a servant of the, the wants of others. But the problem is that the wants of others change. And how do I know that? It's because my own desires and my own wants change too, right? Have you ever really worked for something and only to get it and feel like, well, this is disappointing. This isn't, This doesn't do what I thought it would do, right? It's like every year at Christmas, my kids get a, a ton of toys and every year we think to ourselves, like, we're gonna have to like build on our house to, to find room for all this stuff. And two days after Christmas, it's like, uh, we want something new, we want this other, it's like you just got all this new stuff, what are you talking about, right? But you know what? The sad reality is that my heart works the same way. I work for things, I strive for things, I, I, I set goals and, and I work toward things only to achieve those things and find that in the end it's, it's emptiness, right? Because enough is never really enough. And so if your life is spent chasing after the approval of others, you'll find at the end of the day that enough is never really enough. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that we should that we should always forget about and ignore the desires of other people around us. In fact, in fact, it's important that as followers of Christ that we are attuned to the needs and the wants of others around us because our goal, our desire is to speak the truth into their heart, into their moment Of need, but we just have to understand that at the end of the day, the only thing that really satisfies is the gospel. The only thing that can meet our true heart's desire is a relationship with a Savior. I think it's interesting that Paul also writes here, If I were still trying to please men, there was a time in Paul's life when the goal of his life was to please men. Paul was climbing the ladder to success. He was on the fast track to religious elitism prior to his conversion in Christ. And so you can look at Paul's life. You can look at the the path that he was on, that he he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he writes. He was, literally, he was climbing the ladder rapidly of success. He was gonna ascend to the heights all the way to the top. There was a time in his life when he was focused on pleasing others, the, the, the wants, the desires of other people. But there was also a time in his life when he recognized that that was empty and worthless. And what was it that changed? There was one thing in Paul's life that radically altered his course and his direction, and that was a real encounter with Jesus. And so when Paul, on the road to Damascus, came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, his life was forever changed. In an instant, in a moment, his life was transformed. No longer was he trying to please others. No longer was he seeking to please himself. But now his life had a new purpose. I think of in my own life, I think of a handful of moments in my life when, when life radically changed. On August the 12th, 2000, the year 2000, 2000, I stood at an altar before all of our family and friends and I pledged my heart and my life to this girl that I had been chasing for several years. And in an instant, my life changed. On July the 31st, 2003, the first of our children was born. And in an, in an instant, in a moment, my life forever changed. I was no longer just a husband. Now I was a dad, right? And you can look back, we can all look back on those moments, those times in life, when in an an instant, everything changes. And that's exactly what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. When I was a boy, the age of six, just before my seventh birthday, which actually, later this month, will be the 30th anniversary, the 30th birthday, if you will, of uh, of, this, of this time in my life, just before the age of seven, I gave my life to Christ. I, I made him Lord and Savior of my life. Now, I, I was young, but I knew the gospel. I knew the heart of the gospel. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I needed a Savior and that the only way that I could be forgiven of my sin was to place my faith in Jesus. And so as a young boy, I did that. My life was changed in a moment, in an instant, by that decision. Now, I've worked that out over time, right? Paul even writes to the Philippians that they should work out their faith with fear and trembling, work out their salvation. He doesn't mean that they're working toward their salvation. He's just talking about growing in their faith, growing in their what we would call sanctification, meaning that they become more and more like Jesus. The more they become committed to him, the more they become devoted, the more they understand what it takes to surrender every area of their life to Christ. And so that's what happens in our lives. I know a lot more now at 36 than I knew at 6 about what it means to follow Christ. But it all happened in a moment, in an instant, when I surrendered my heart and my life to him. And in the same way, as Paul, in the same way has happened in my own life, the truth is that when when we surrender control of our lives to Christ, then we are transformed to where we're no longer seeking to please ourselves, no longer seeking to please others, but now the aim of our lives is to please God. And if you're trying to please God, then your life will be subject to his approval. It only stands to, to reason, right? If you're trying to please yourself, then your life will be subject to your own approval. But the problem with that is that your heart will betray you. If you're trying to please others, then your life will be subject to the approval of others. And the problem with that is enough is never really enough. But when you try to please God and, and you seek to please him, then what you find is that the cross of Jesus is enough. The cross of Jesus is enough. Enough. And so, because of the cross, we have everything that we need for life and peace with God as our Savior. When we make it our, our aim to please God by submitting to His authority, then we find that His pleasure in our lives is not based on what we do. His pleasure in our lives, His satisfaction of us, is based on what Jesus did. And so no longer does our lives center around what we have to do. Now our lives become centered on the heart of the gospel, which is what Jesus did for us. And so the goal of our lives becomes pleasing God, seeking after his will, seeking his direction. And so the call that we have, and we've already talked a little bit this morning when, when I was reading to you from Isaiah chapter 6 at the beginning of our worship, I talked about the call of God on Isaiah's life, the call that we have as followers of Christ. In, in seeking to please God, in seeking to follow him, the call of our lives is to make Christ master of everything is that we would make him master of everything. See, here's the the truth that we need to understand, is that there is no salvation apart from the lordship of Christ. And what I mean when I say that is you cannot be truly saved by him unless you are willing to bring everything under his control in your life. If there is any part of your life that you are withholding from him, saying, no, God, I want to give you... 90%, but this 10% I need to keep for a rainy day. If you even say, God, I'm going to keep 99%, but I've got to hold on to the 1%, then you've not truly surrendered because surrender requires everything. And so there is no salvation apart from lordship, meaning until you've surrendered everything to him, he's not truly your Savior and your Lord. But when we surrender everything to him, now... The the goal of our lives is no longer to please others. It's not the approval of man, but now the goal of our lives is to be a servant of Christ. When did we ever start believing the lie that as Christians we're supposed to fit in? When did we ever start buying the, the, the lie of the enemy that our, that our goal, that our aim as, as believers in Jesus is to try to fit in and that the whole world would, would approve of us and be pleased with us? Jesus himself told us, blessed are you when they persecute you. He told us, they will hate you because they hated me first. Jesus tells us that no one can serve two masters, right? It's me or it's nothing, It's an all or nothing proposition with him. It's either I am master of all or I'm not master at all in your life. When did we ever start believing the lie that we've got to please Jesus but have the rest of the world be okay with us too? As followers of Jesus, we have one master. We seek the approval of one. And that is the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus Christ. Christ. He is our. He is our master. We are His servants, as Paul writes here. And so, just as Paul writes, "If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. It could equally be said of you. It can equally be said of me, if I were still trying to please man, then I would not be a servant of Christ. So the call in our lives is to make Christ master of everything. There's real freedom that comes through being a servant of Christ too, by the way. Paul was frequently using this this idea that he was a servant of Christ. And so Romans chapter 1 Verse 1, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Romans chapter 14, verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, and verse, chapter 4, verse 12. Paul refers to himself as a servant of Christ, as a bond servant of Christ. And why does Paul often refer to himself as a bondservant of Christ? Because he understood that Christ was master of everything and that there was real freedom and joy that came through being a servant of Christ. And so he made it the goal of his life to surrender everything to the lordship of Jesus. And when we do that, finally we see this, is that our commitment to the gospel must always come before everything else. Our commitment to the gospel comes before first. And so, when the world tells us that what we believe is old-fashioned, when the world tells us that what we believe is intolerant, which, by the way, isn't it convenient that they're intolerant of our supposed intolerance? That's a whole other subject for a different day, I suppose. But, I mean, when the world tries to tell us that we are out of step with the way things work these days, you and I need to remember that we don't seek the approval of man, but of God, and that the gospel always comes first. And so if there's ever a moment, ever a situation, ever the possibility that we would have to compromise our faith in the gospel in order to please the others of this world, so to speak, then we always stand for the truth of the gospel, never compromising, never bending, never backing down from that truth. Of course, this doesn't mean that we become inflexible to the, in, in the sense that uh, we, we become hateful or that we become, uh, you know, that we become calloused or hardened toward the world. We, we ought to do that with, with soft hearts and understanding that, that the, the hardness of heart that causes people to rebel against God's authority and his lordship because we've been there ourselves too, But we must never compromise our commitment to the gospel. It must always come before everything else. Why? Because whoever we are trying to please will be our master. And we seek the approval of God, rather than the approval of man. And so in just a moment today, we're gonna enter into a time of invitation, a time of response. And during our time of response, our altars are gonna be open this morning for you to come and pray because I I believe that there are, there are probably many of us in the room this morning that would say, you know, if I was to be honest, I mean, if I really was to like peel back the layers of uh, where I hide my true self sometimes, if I was really to be honest, I would have to admit that much of the time I care more about what, the world thinks about me than I do about whether God is pleased with me. And there are many times in my life when I'm more concerned with satisfying everyone around me and pleasing everyone around me than I am with pleasing God. Today, I, I pray that out of genuine heartfelt repentance that you would come and, and you can kneel here at our altar this morning and you can just pray, God, would you would you forgive me? Would you would you set me free from the, the, the desire that to please others so that my life might be focused on pleasing you as my Lord, my Savior, as master of everything in my life? Maybe you're here today and you recognize there's never been that moment that I talked about in my own life when I was six years old, when, that moment when I surrendered my heart and my soul to Jesus, when I made him Lord and Savior of my life. And maybe you recognize there's never been that moment in your life when you've really, truly surrendered control to him, making him master of everything in your life. Today, would you come, take one of our staff by the hand, and just say, I'm ready to make Jesus my master. I'm ready to give him control of everything in my life. There was nothing we want more than to be able to pray with you and walk you through what that looks like to surrender heart and soul to him. And so as we pray and as we sing this song of invitation in a moment, I I hope that you will move, that you will respond to God's call, that you would make him truly master of everything, every area in your life by yielding your heart and your desires to him.